Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So I've heard of undecided, but Michigan's bringing in a new word, uncommitted. What's it going to mean for November? Tonight on Laura Coates Live. Now, have you ever met someone from Michigan? They all do this thing. You know what I'm talking about? They hold up their hand and they point to where they're from because of the shape of Michigan. Maybe it's a Midwest thing. We're all really visual people. But when it comes to some voters, they're refusing to show their hands, at least to Biden. Now, the same state who in 2016 broke for Trump, defeating Hillary Clinton by less than, what, 11,000 votes? And in 2020, broke for Joe Biden over Donald Trump by about... 154,000 votes. Well, now some Democrats are using tomorrow's primary to protest the president's handling of the war in Gaza by not voting for Biden, not for Trump, but for uncommitted. A warning to Biden and his administration that they need to hear um, our calls and heed our demands and respond to what it is that we're asking for, which is an immediate and a permanent ceasefire. Now, if thousands of Michigan Democrats actually do vote uncommitted tomorrow, that could be one heck of a sign that his handling of Gaza may actually cost Biden some crucial votes in November. It's not because people want Trump. None of, no one who is voting uncommitted uh, wants Trump. They, they want what is happening in Gaza to, to stop. Will Biden listen or will Michigan voters now cover their own ears to him? And it's not just Democrats, by the way, that have to worry. You heard him mention both Trump and Biden. Well, Donald Trump might look to be on an unstoppable march the nomination. But, you know, there are actually signs that he has got some vulnerabilities here. The latest clue? Well, in exit polling in South Carolina, a stunning 96 percent of Nikki Haley's voters said that they would be dissatisfied if Trump wins the nomination. And Trump is going to need to make inroads with Haley's voters in November. Now I want to bring in Democratic U.S. Senate candidate, Hill Harper. You may know him as Dr. Marcus Andrews in ABC's hit drama, The Good Doctor, any of his number one acting roles. But he hung up his scrubs last year to focus on a run for public office. Where? In the key swing state of Michigan. Hill Harper joins me now. Hill, good to see you. Welcome back. How are you doing? Doing well. I'm doing great. Today, this Past few days running all over the state has been pretty incredible. Talking to a lot of voters and tomorrow is a huge day here. So it's pretty exciting. It is a huge day. And we've all been watching and waiting to see what will happen in Michigan tomorrow. I mean, President Biden is set to face his most significant primary challenge to, to date. Michigan's, quote unquote, uncommitted voter. Will you be voting for President Biden tomorrow? Well, you know, I mean, here's the deal. The beautiful thing about the sanctity of one's vote, it's a very private vote. So I'm not going to say what I'm going to what I'm going to vote for. But I will say uh, this is that we need to make sure we get President Biden back into the White House. But I do believe that uh, that the Listen to Michigan movement and the uncommitted 
uh, vote will be relatively significant from the standpoint of the folks I've talked to all over the state. And I think it's very important. I think it's very important because it sends a message that I believe gives President Biden the best chance to win uh, in November. The fact that folks need to be heard and folks are, 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 are suffering, folks are angry. Um, I'm hearing it all over the state. 71% of Michigan Democrats support ceasefire. You know, I came out for ceasefire uh, uh, about a month, a little over a month after the conflict. Now we're five months in. Um, there was a voter, Laura, yesterday who said to me, Hill, I, I think people have to right size in their mind what's going on. Number one, uh, Gaza is the same square footage as Detroit, basically. 2.2 uh, million people, over 30,000 have already died. Uh, to put that in a context of the U.S., that would be 4.7 million U.S. citizens dead. And, and the CDC wow. says, and this is what she said to me, the CDC said, we've had 1.18 million deaths from, from COVID. Uh, with the same death toll here would have been 4.7 million uh, 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 deaths. And so folks are hurting and, and, and they want their voice to be heard and they're going to be heard through that uncommitted vote. That's important to think about, particularly when I hear the phrase uncommitted, I think to myself that it should entice a candidate to be all the more responsive, that they don't take for granted right. and believe that I need not campaign in or maybe more specifically, that I need not actually engage in the active listening sessions and present policy as a result. I mean, you have been pushing for a ceasefire since at least November. Governor Gretchen Whitmer says that not voting for Biden over the Israel-Hamas war will lead to a second Trump presidency. You've been talking to Michigan voters. Is that how you see it? Yeah. No, 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 no. This, this gives... Since President Biden and the Democratic establishment a message, in Michigan, there are key voting blocks right here in Detroit, where I'm sitting right now. For instance, you know, folks always say Michigan is a red state until black folks vote. It's true. If we're talking about Democrats, right? Mm. The, the, the way we win is to get constituency groups like African-Americans involved and engaged and voting, getting the Arab and Muslim population engaged, involved in voting. And how you do that is actually listening, not taking their votes for granted. And so this gives, there'll be eight months from tomorrow for the DC Democratic establishment to really get their stuff together and listen to, because there's a lot of black folks, I'm telling you, tomorrow black turnout is going to be quite low. I'm, you know, I why, do you, why, why do you think that? Why do you think it's going to be so low? Okay, so first of all, for the first time in 57 years, Michigan does not have a black Democratic representative in the federal delegation. That's out of 13 congressional seats and two Senate seats. That's 15 seats. So folks feel completely un unrepresented. And then when this open U.S. Senate seat came, came up that I'm obviously running for, uh, the Democratic leadership did not come to the black community and say, you know what, you're unrepresented. Let's have a conversation. Who would you like to see in that seat? Instead, they handpicked a candidate that they said, this is who the establishment has chosen. And that candidate does not necessarily have a re relationship with the black community. And folks are like, what's going on? Every year in October, every election cycle in October, the black community said, save us, save us. Uh, uh, we need black votes. Democrats need black votes to win statewide in Michigan. But if, if, but if they don't feel that, that they're getting any, a return for the investment of their vote, well, they're, they're checking out. So part of my challenge in this campaign has been re-engaging them to say, hey, voting for me is an investment because you're going to get paid back because you'll have real representation. 
Hill Harper, thank you so much for joining us. You've got a long way to go till August. Then again, it's going to go just like that. The time seems That's to right. fly in any election year. Good luck to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now I want to bring in former Republican Congressman Joe Walsh and CNN political commentator Ashley Allison. She's his National Coalition's director for the Biden-Harris 2020 presidential campaign. Glad to have you both here. First of all, I've heard of Undecided. Now there's Uncommitted. We heard in Nevada recently when it came to Nikki Haley, it was, what, none of the above candidates. This idea of Uncommitted really is in reaction we're hearing about what's going on in terms of Gaza. I want to play for you a list of what happened here when this idea of a sort of a warning for Biden ahead of November. Listen to this. You need to call for a ceasefire because it will save lives and because it's the necessary thing to do politically. Otherwise, you, President Biden, will be handing the White House to Donald Trump. So he has been moving towards this very notion of calling for that. When you look at this, is it enough at this point, Ashley? Well, I think they want to hear the president say, I want a permanent ceasefire. And that's not right now where the Biden administration is. He did say today that they are close to a temporary ceasefire that would also provide for some hostages to come back. But what I ultimately think the voters in Michigan are doing is they're engaging in democracy. They're having a discourse about using their vote about where they think foreign policy should be. And, and I think now if you're on a campaign, this is not music to your ears. But if you are a believer in democracy, you have to allow people to show up and vote for the issues and the things that they believe in. Now, that all being said, Donald Trump cannot be president of the United <clears throat> States. So these voters, if they do not get to a place where Joe Biden is someone they can vote for in November, that is going to be a very interesting story for the Biden campaign to figure out. From the beginning, Laura, this is a tough issue for Biden because it divides the Democratic coalition. Mm -hmm. He stood pretty damn firmly with Israel from the beginning. If he abandoned that, as far as a general election position, this country is still mostly pro-Israel. And that's a good thing. So he can't be seen that he's just going to appease one population in one state. He's got to he's going to be the Democratic nominee. But Generally, he's got to stand with Israel. I think that there is a way to do both. I think there is a way to say Israel has a right to exist, that hostages deserve to come home. But innocent Palestinians also deserve to live. And I think that the voters who are saying I don't want to speak for them. But I will say as someone who wants this war to come to an end immediately and for good, um, I, I, don't, I don't like the direction this is going. It is too far. And it's not, I, I think that sometimes we're talking about this because it is an election year about just the tactics of pol politicking and what to say. We're actually talking about people's lives in Israel and in Gaza yeah. and, this is, and people's families. And so... It's easy in Washington, D.C., and I don't think you're doing this, Joe, but it's easy in Washington, D.C. to get lost in the tactics of politicking, politi politi politicking. Pol politicking or whatever. Politicking. Politicking. Yeah. <laughs> but these are people. You're, I mean, you're absolutely right. And yeah. when you look at that, I mean, obviously we talk about the polls, we talk about the ballots, we talk about the outcomes of things, but the issues to people are very intimate and personal. And it's not just about sort of a 10-foot poll extended and says, yeah, I, I guess I'll vote for this. It's deeply personal, particularly in a year like this. But it's not just, just Biden who has to deal with the personal. Trump also has some vulnerabilities. Yes, he went, what, 60-40 to Nikki Haley in South Carolina, but there was an exit poll that found that 96% of her voters 
would be dissatisfied if Trump wins a nomination. I wonder if that's a red flag in Michigan and also beyond for Trump. What do you think? In every state. In every state. Now, many of those people will, those Republicans, Haley voters, will come back home. I think most will. Uh, they, home meaning to the Republican Party, meaning, the candidate Meaning is. to Trump. Um, uh, they had a choice. This is a primary. They wanted Haley. She's not going to win. The realization that he's going to be the nominee is going to set in with most Republican voters. He'll get most of them. But he is vulnerable because, the, look, I may form a Republican who is a never-Trumper. That was four years ago. Uh, there are a lot more like me now. This is a problem for Trump. But you look, I mean, both of you alluded to the idea of the symbolism of making one stand felt right now, whether it's the protest uncommitted or it's a, I'm dissatisfied with what you're doing right now and don't want you to be the nominee. But it's like both you believe that no matter what, at the end of the day, Democrats will vote Democrats and right, Republicans the same. Is that it, taking it and for you, granted though? You may disagree with me. I think d primaries are like family fights <laughs> and you fight it out and somebody then represents, I'm getting the look, somebody <laughs> represents the family. <laughs> <laughs> it's just my face. <laughs> no. uh, That's resting humor face. Yeah, I love, right. I love That's that. resting yeah. sarcasm. No, no, I, I, I think you're right. Like, you, you have the opportunity to have the marketplace of ideas within your party and then identify who you want. And not just maybe who you want, but who you think has the best chance of winning a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And um, in this instance, I just think there are a lot of different components at play. And But at the end of the day, it's probably going to be Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Well, we shall see what happens. And maybe Nikki Haley... If she continues beyond to produce it, we have to wait and see on that as well. Joe Ashley, please stick around. We've got five days to go until a partial government shutdown, and it's fourth time, the fourth time in four months. Alas, Shark Tank's Kevin O'Leary. Is this any way to run a government? This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You know, Donald Trump, he's appealing that massive $454 million civil fraud judgment against him, his sons, and the Trump organization. Former president has to pay that penalty, of course, to secure a bond to also cover it, which would stop... Attorney General Tisha James, excuse me, from actually seizing his property. Otherwise, the interest keeps on accruing, adding up at an annual rate of 9% until he's paid it all in full. Now, it's not clear yet how Trump plans on coming up with that huge amount of money needed for the appeal. According to Forbes, he has an estimated $426 million in cash and liquid assets, nothing to sneeze at, part of roughly $640 million he holds in personal assets. Well, so the money man himself diving in with Shark Tank's Judge 
Kevin O'Leary, otherwise known as Mr. Wonderful and chairman of O'Leary Ventures. Kevin, good to see you back here. Every time I think about this number, it seems astronomical to the average person. Frankly, it is an astronomical figure. And between the penalty, in this case, the $83 million to E. Jean Carroll, that's more than half a billion dollars. And you got this recent Forbes estimate saying that he didn't have the cash. So how is he going to come up with that money? Well, even if you're a billionaire, having half a billion liquid is kind of unusual. But by the way, Laura, this bond, like everything else in this case, is unprecedented. Hmm. I don't recall a bond issuance anywhere near this ever for a personal situation ever. I mean, usually these things in real estate end up 20, 30, 40 million dollars and you basically get an aggregate of your portfolio and you stake it. The bond fee itself to put the agreement in place is anywhere from one to two and a half percent. So you're gonna lose that right out of the gate. So there's a cost to all of this that you never get recoup. But I, so I think the narrative on this case has, it's not even politics anymore. It's more about what what is the risk profile of New York State given all these unprecedented situations around development because New York is, is one of the primary markets on earth for real estate development. It's, you think about New York City, and particularly in commercial real estate or retail, or you know, obviously condos and everything else, it's one of the number one markets, maybe London, maybe Abu Dhabi, maybe New York, but it's taking on a new risk profile because all of this stuff is unprecedented. The size of the penalty is unprecedented. Mm -hmm. The law that we, was used Kevin, to garner I'm, it, to hold create on. Before it. You, before you go on, why are you focusing on the risk profile of a state like New York if the risk profile really is about if somebody has committed this activity or criminal behavior, or in this case, it's a civil matter for the attorney general's office, um, isn't the risk profile through the lens of not making those steps to get yourself exposed to this liability? Why is the focus on New York itself? Well, New York's the only state that's ever used this law in this way in 75 years to get this outcome. And we know the outcome of the case. And then New York's the only state ever to award this unprecedented amount against a a crime that had no victims in the sense that no monies were lost. That's also new and never been done before. So well, the Attorney General that, on that point, you know, though, Kevin, the Attorney General does say that there are victims. And you and I, you know, we have had conversations about this in the past. She is saying, and I know you take issue with this, but she is saying that even though the lenders did make some money from Mr. Trump, they were the purported victims in this case because they could have gotten more money and this financial penalty reflects those lost profits. Now you, you think that that is not only unprecedented, which it frankly in many respects could be, but that that is the real problem in terms of the future of development and for those thinking about New York. Well, I, you know, that's a valid claim you're making, but maybe they would have made 20, 30, 40, 50 million more. Is the penalty commensurate with that loss, a 10x seems a little excessive and undoubtedly will be challenged in the appellate court. But this is not about Donald Trump anymore. It's about New York and risk. And that's the way developers like I'm looking at it. I, I love New York. My kids live in New York. It's the number one market on earth. But the question is, can I risk it? Can I risk putting 3.6 billion in the ground in New York right now, while things are so, what I don't know, I don't know what to call this. I mean, the, 
it's so toxic, so volatile, so unknown. All of this stuff is just waking everybody up around the world saying, what's going on in New York? And I'd argue to the people in New York, and I've said this many times, maybe you should think about the management you have that's doing this to you because it's not making you the best place to take risk. That's all I'm saying. It's not about politics, not about Trump. It's about risk. I hear you, but you know, what some people are waking up to this realization, when you're talking about putting three or four billion in the ground in New York, the average person doing business or trying to get a loan in Manhattan or in New York State more broadly, they're trying to get an interest rate so they can get a 30 year on something. And even then they're pulling together resources. It sounds, again, to go back to my original point, for the average person, they're looking at these laws that are on the books through the lens of what the average person would be held to account for. But let me just go, you, you struck a chord with me when you talk about the management of things, because I, I can't help. I'm in Washington, D.C. Um, and when I think about the management of things, Kevin, I'm thinking a lot about what's happening over on, on Capitol Hill. And I, th- this deadline coming up on Friday, you know, I watch you all the time on Shark Tank. We all do. And I cannot imagine that you as a businessman would look at something like Congress, for example, and what's going on there and say, a lot of debt, vulnerable to shutdowns all the time, happening, you know, multiple times with a span of a year. How do you, from the business perspective, evaluate a company like Congress, for example? I mean, you're worried about the risk and investment in New York. What do you make of Congress? Well, Laura, we've all seen this movie before, dozens of times. The (laughs) drama, the deadline, they're gonna shut the government down. No, they're not. That never happens. And that's why the market doesn't care. In the last minute, there's going to be some bipartisan agreement that kicks the can down the road 90 days, and we deal with this again in three months. What would be a good ending to this story is shut the government down for once. Let's get some Mm. real drama. But we know you're not going to do that. Congress is so divided. It's so partisan. These are very, very difficult times for anybody that's a lawmaker in Washington. And so this they're not they're not going to go home. It's going to be the 48 hours. Everybody's going to be awake and blah, 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 <laughs> woof, woof, woof. Everybody's seen the movie before. It's almost getting boring. Well, I've seen the movie before, and thank you. Do not tell my bosses to keep me up for 48 hours before this all happens. But let me ask you, do you really think, Kevin, that the government ought to shut down just for the drama's sake? You, you obviously think that you mean it would mean that if a bluff was called, maybe people would be incentivized to do more to prevent it? Well, you know, but the problem is, no, I don't want to see the government shut down. That's very bad for the American brand. It is. You know, and I work in this economy. No, I don't want to do that. But I'd I'd really like to stop doing this over and over again. We're all tiring of it. We know the outcome, the last minute agreement, but it's not a fixed agreement in the sense that it has longevity. It's a short agreement kicking the can down the road. That's not the, the way to run the government. And I think most people would agree with that on a bipartisan basis. I mean, it really, really consumes a lot of time every 90 days, whenever it is, and it's not healthy. But the world knows, the whole world's seen the movie. Everybody on earth knows this movie. And so that's why they don't sell a lot of tickets to it anymore. It's not gonna be that much drama. I guarantee you they won't shut down the government, yada, 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 woof, 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 and we'll move on the next day for a 90-day deal. 
Have you not been paying attention, Kevin, to the way that movies are made now? Everything is a remake. Everything is done again. So they're just <laughs> following the whole Hollywood thing. Thank you very much. Kevin O'Leary, I'm going to hold you to that guarantee that you made for this coming Friday. Maybe Congress will listen and say, well, if he said it, it must be true. Kevin O'Leary, <laughs> nice to see you. Thank you. Take care. Here's to our next sequel, my friend. Also, there are huge cases before the Supreme Court, and I do mean significant, dealing with free speech, particularly online. Here's the big question. Should a state be able to regulate what you see on social media platforms? Well, the arguments were made before the Supreme Court today. I'm going to tell you about what the Judicial Nine had to say about it next. All right, it's time for a pop quiz. Don't worry, it's multiple choice. If your mother tells you to be quiet, because she doesn't know what you have to say, has she violated your free speech? A, yes, B, no, or C, your mother is in the government so the first time it doesn't actually apply to her. Well, if you guess C, then you have passed the test. But here's a trickier one the Supreme Court is trying to answer right now. Again, it's multiple choice. It's 11 o'clock at night. I got it. If social media platforms like Facebook or YouTube or X tell you to be quiet because they don't like what you have to say, have they violated your free speech? A, yes, because they're kind of like the government. No, they're private companies, not the government. That's B. Or C, maybe. Well, this one might just come down to maybe. I'm sorry there's no all of the above option for all of you remembering your entire high school career. But the Supreme Court is trying to figure this one out. First of all, no, social media companies are not the government. If they were the government, it'd be a different ball game. Generally speaking, the government has to be what they call content neutral, meaning you cannot censor or punish people based on what they're going to say. But there are those who claim that these companies might as well be considered the government. And Texas and Florida laws say that these companies are censoring conservative voices when deciding what content they can remove from their platforms. But those laws are now before the Supreme Court. And the social media companies argue they, in fact, violate their own speech rights. Now, some justices today appear sympathetic to their argument. And I wonder, since we're talking about the First Amendment, whether our first concern should be uh, uh, with the state regulating uh, what you know, we have called the modern uh, public square. And it seems like in Buckley in 1976, in a really important sentence in our First Amendment jurisprudence, we said that the, the concept that the government may restrict the speech of some elements of our society in order to enhance the relative voice of others is wholly foreign to the First Amendment. So who is right? Well, joining me now, Carl Zabo, VP and General Counsel of NetChoice. That is the company acting as the lead plaintiff and challenging both those laws before the Supreme Court. Carl, so glad you're here. The immediate reaction of people is, hold on, how is a social media company the government that the First Amendment would actually apply? Your argument is that they're not, and this is out of bounds. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, if the states Florida and Texas were to take your multiple choice test, I'd say send them back to bed because they clearly do not understand what they're doing. The First Amendment is pretty clear. It says the government may not force any of us, you, me, CNN, any of us, to say something we do not want to say. And there are plenty of times that people come up and say, I want to be on your show. And you say, no, I don't want to have you on my show. Or you should do the news this way. Well, I don't want to do the news that way. But the state of Florida and Texas are, are saying the exact same thing to websites. And no, they can't, because that's their First Amendment 
protected speech. And here you have two states, Florida and Texas, that are actually trying to force websites like Facebook and YouTube, but even sites like Etsy to host content that they don't want to host. It is so crazy that even these laws would require Etsy to be forced to sell sweaters with swastikas on it. They don't want to sell that. Why should they be forced to sell that? That's not in their interest. That's a violation of their First Amendment. So this comes down in many respects to the idea of censorship. And obviously, it's the government who cannot do that as opposed to private individual. But there are arguments to be made that, and some are making them, no, they should be state actors. Trump famously made this argument several years ago, feeling that he had been censored. Um, When you look at this argument about them being a state actor, is it really coming down to that they are omnipotent or omnipresent in places? That's not enough to be the government. Yeah, it doesn't work for a number of reasons. One, it doesn't match reality. So if you don't like what's going on in Facebook, you can go to YouTube. You don't like YouTube, you go to X. You don't like X, you can go to True Social or Rumble, conservative platforms. So it doesn't match the facts, but it doesn't match the law either because there have been case after case where the famous case, the Miami Herald v. Tornillo, Mm -hmm. the U.S. Supreme Court said, you know what, even if you are a monopoly, you're still entitled to First Amendment protection. Or you look at a case out of California, PG&E, California PG&E, a public utility still entitled to First Amendment protections. So there's no way to do an end run around the First Amendment, and that's by design. Let me ask you, though, coming out of the oral arguments, do you feel confident the Supreme Court will see things your way? It's hard to read the tea leaves sometimes. Yeah, I mean, sometimes reading tea leaves is way more clear than trying to read nine justices. But at the end of the day, we have 200 years of First Amendment law saying it is the right of individuals, the right of businesses to decide what content is appropriate for them and not the government. And at the end of the day, that's what they'll find, that's what they'll decide, and that protects all of us. Well, I'm out of tea leaves, Carl, but I'm glad you stopped by. We'll see what they actually end up saying. We know they might just take till June. So glad to have you here. Thank you so much. Well, there have been several fertility clinics in Alabama now pausing IVF treatments, this after just last week's ruling. And now there's new scrutiny on that chief justice of the state Supreme Court, who cited the Bible, in his opinion. We'll dig into it next. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. At least three fertility clinics have paused operations following the Alabama Supreme Court's embryo ruling. The decision ultimately said that embryos are children. But let's look up and look at the words used to back it all up. Alabama Supreme Court Chief Justice Tom Parker cited the Bible to make his point. And that's not the first time, frankly, that he has done this. Tom Foreman is at the Magic Wall to help us take a deeper look. Tom, what'd you find? Chief Justice Tom Parker of the Alabama Supreme Court routinely talks about his far-right Christian beliefs. He sometimes criticizes his fellow justices for not turning to God more when making legal decisions. And he was elected to this office, because that's how it works in Alabama, after presenting himself as a religious zealot which he still does. Listen. We need to find what God's call is on our life and pursue it 
so that we can be used of him in his kingdom for his purposes. And Tom, that way of thinking is really clear, frankly, in his concurrence with the recent ruling on embryos, right? Yeah, absolutely. Time and again, he cited the Bible, as you noted, Christian values, and he said that's what Alabamians want. We believe that each human being from the moment of conception is made in the image of God, created by him to reflect his likeness. It is as if the people of Alabama took what was spoken of the prophet Jeremiah and applied it to every unborn person in this state before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He also said in all of this, the doctrine of the sanctity of life is rooted in the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. And furthermore, he said, life cannot be wrongfully destroyed without incurring the wrath of a holy God who views the destruction of his images as an affront to himself. Laura, all of this sounds like a sermon, but this is in an official state Supreme Court ruling. I mean, many people would look at this and say, what happened to church and state being separate? And he seems completely comfortable with mixing public duty, his private beliefs, even though he has been elected. Yeah, and it goes even more than that. He favors what is called the so-called Seven Mountains Mandate. This is an idea that's very strong among evangelicals and Pentecostals. Started in the 1970s, really took off about 10 years ago. What it says is that Christians are supposed to dominate Families, education, religion, entertainment, media, business, and importantly, government. Listen to his take. We have abandoned those seven mountains, and they've been occupied by the opposite side. God created government. And the fact that we have let it go yeah. into the possession of others it's heartbreaking for those of us who understand, and we know it is for him. All of this is why some critics say Parker is actually arguing not for a democracy, but for a theocracy in which Christians are not merely the majority in the country, which they still are, but that they rule absolutely. Laura? It's, it's pretty stunning the way you've broken it down and just seeing it really in an official document, one that has the entire nation wondering what will come next. Yeah. Tom Foreman, thank you so much. Well, there's been a lot of hand-wringing in the Republican Party in the wake of overturning Roe v. Wade with that Dobbs decision. Is the party feeling buyer's remorse with decisions like that are those that are coming out of Alabama? We'll talk about it next. Is the GOP feeling some kind of, well, buyer's remorse in the wake of overturning Roe v. Wade? Just last week, Alabama ruled that embryos or children mean that people in the state could be held liable for discarding an embryo. So what does that mean for the Republican Party? Well, a lot of the GOP's top brass are now trying to scramble to get on the side of supporting IVF. Listen. Are you comfortable with IVF as a procedure? I am. You have a lot of people out there in this country that they wouldn't have children if it wasn't for that. I think it was a terrible ruling. I can't speak to that particular case, but yeah. I'm generally in favor of that. Well, I think the court correctly assessed the law, but I believe the Alabama law needs to change. People who want to have a family should have the government and the law on their side. We want to make it easier uh, for people to be able to have babies, not, not make it harder. Uh, and the IVF process is a way of giving life uh, to even more babies. Do I support the IVF procedure? 100% I do. It should be made available.
A lot of this set off by a letter from Senate Republicans' campaign arm urging candidates to support the fertility treatment. I want to bring back former Republican Congressman Joe Walsh and CNN political commentator Ashley Allison. Okay, I've often heard this phrase of Republicans have caught the car. I want to unpack it further, though, and wonder, do you think that the advocacy in favor of overturning Roe v. Wade was short-sighted and not contemplating all the different iterations of what it could really mean? Laura, I say this as a pro-life former elected official. Most Republicans never thought Roe would really be overturned. You and I were talking, did they anticipate what might happen if it was overturned? They never thought it would. It was the way we raised money. It was the way we riled up the base. The base wanted it overturned, but most Republican elected officials never expected it to be, so they weren't ready for any of this. So Mifepristone, the IVF, all considerations. That's interesting because it sounds like, to your point, it's easier to campaign than legislate yes. on the issue. Well, uh, you would know what your party was thinking better than I would, but I, I don't necessarily agree, believe it. I, I think that when you make a 30-year plan and you work decade after decade, you might thought it was going to take 50 years and not 30, but it took 30 and then you overturned it. Um, it's no surprise that right after that, we started to see bans on six weeks <clears throat> Um, criminalization of doctors, criminalization of women, prevention to travel to different states. And now with IVF, many abortion rights advocates, many reproductive rights advocates have said long, the fall of Roe means the fall of reproductive freedom and all that that is encompassing mm -hmm. of. Now, whether or not you knew how it was going to happen, whether you thought it was going to be through this court case or this governor or this state legislator is a different way. But there was a theory to take away the woman's bodily autonomy in every form with the fall of Roe. And now we're just seeing it play out. Let me ask you, Joe, on that. And, I, and you were um, right to identify these two different terms. There is the idea of abortion and reproductive rights in terms of how it's being discussed. Um, Republicans seem to be quite fearful that they are being associated with anti-reproduction. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, listen to them run from this IVF thing. Because this is anti-life. This is anti-allowing, letting men and women, women have babies, literally have families. They're scared to death of this. So they should be. How do they course correct? Stay Can out they? of our doctor's offices. <laughs> that's, how, that's how you course correct it. You actually like stay out of women's doctor's office, let them make choices for their body, and we would all be good. But they don't want to do that. They're going to embrace IBF as much as they can, but I think it's too late. It's too late because they have shown their cards. They have shown themselves for who they are. I said to a friend this weekend, I said, I think that they, the Republican Party probably put a memo out on the plan to do after Roe, and somebody forgot to tell the Supreme Court justices, don't make this ruling unless Donald Trump wins in November. It's a little conspiracy theory, but it felt like they pulled the trigger a little too fast, but this was always going to be the plan. They just did it nine months earlier if Donald Trump ends up being president. I mean, abortion remains on the ballot, even if in some places it's an invisible ink, but this issue, very important. Now reproductive rights. We'll see how it all fares. Joe Ashley, thank you both so much. And thank you all for watching. Our coverage continues. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.